Hello and welcome to the Lancet Digital Health Podcast. I am Rupa Sarkar, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and today we're going to be talking about a new systematic review and meta-analysis published in the Lancet Digital Health this month that aims to assess how effective the current self-guided digital interventions are for helping individuals who are at risk of suicide. This analysis looked at 16 studies comprising of over 4,000 participants with the aim of comparing effects of, of direct and indirect interventions for suicidal ideation. Today I'm joined by the lead author, Professor Helen Christensen, who is the Director and Chief Scientist at the Black Dog Institute and a Professor of Mental Health at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Professor Christensen is a leading expert on using technology to deliver evidence-based interventions for the prevention and treatment of depression, anxiety, suicide and self-harm. Her research is aimed at prevention of depression and suicide risks through e-mental health interventions. Professor Christensen, thank you so much for joining us on the phone all the way from Sydney, and I'm so sorry that it's past dinner time. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. So can you kick us off by telling us a bit more about you, your career, and when you started to incorporate digital approaches in your research on mental health? I think I've been working in digital health for at least 20 years. Um, In the early 2000s, we were looking at the ways in which we could deliver cognitive behaviour therapy to young people. At that stage, uh, depression drugs were not really recommended. And so the real treatment for depression in young people was cognitive behaviour therapy. We recognised that this sort of therapy can be manualised and we developed a website at the time called Mood Gym, which essentially was trying to put the hands in the hands of consumers and young people the knowledge that therapists had about how you rechange the way you think in order to improve your depression. And since that, I've really um, been a lot of work in the area with many colleagues. With respect to suicide prevention, I recognise that 70% or so of people at risk of suicide are not in contact with their doctors uh, or medical services. And so it seemed that this was a particularly useful strategy to try and reach them. So the use of digital self-help management programs in suicide is relatively recent but it really was um, sort of driven by the need, I think, of being able to put this out to people who weren't willing to seek help services. And can you give us a bit of background? So what is the prevalence of suicide globally and and what what are the current healthcare treatments? You've already said that people at risk of suicide don't often seek help. How prevalent is this problem? Across the world, globally, there's about 820 or so thousand people who die by suicide every year. It's a major problem, a major public public health problem, whether it's in um, communities like ours in Australia or low or middle income countries around the world. Um, it really is a, a very difficult problem and it involves a number of, I think the generally speaking, most people now believe you have to have a multi-sectorial um, approach, a systems approach that takes uh, many paths from public health interventions through to treatments. Um, but when we look at treatments, uh, we do have effective treatments uh, for suicide and suicidality, things like dialectic behaviour therapy and so on that can be practised in both face-to-face and online environments. Can you tell us a bit more about the previous studies, especially the digital interventions in suicide, before we start talking about the study that we've, that we've published in the Lancet Digital Health? I think 
think um, digital interventions for suicide have, are very recent, but there have been a number of reviews. Um, and until now, until we did this review, really there were very few randomised controlled trials. And randomised controlled trials are particularly important because we do see that people have a rapid de-escalation of suicide symptoms over time. So other forms of investigation of this, um, pre-post or um, a lack of comparison to control group, uh, are kind of pretty much biased to showing that there are positive effects. So you really have to compare it to a control group of some form. So I think that's really the advantage of the studies we have recently put together in this meta-analysis. Can you tell us more about the meta-analysis and systematic review and what you found? The meta-analysis really identified 16 uh, comparisons within 14 randomised controlled trial studies. Many of these interventions that use the suicide outcome are often focused on depression and what we call that a sort of indirect intervention on a suicide outcome. Whereas we wanted to see whether the interventions that were specifically designed for suicide ideation or attempts were more effective than approaching suicide as an outcome of being of, of experiencing depression. So we wanted to compare will interventions that focus on depression do as good a job as interventions that try and focus on the suicidality itself. Okay, and what kind of digital interventions did you look at in these RCTs? Were they very heterogeneous or and were they mostly CBTs? And they were mostly CBT. There was a real mixture. Um, there were CBT interventions that you, you normally use in, to change cognitive thoughts. CBT interventions that were focused on insomnia. Quite an interesting approach, really. And then there were other interventions focused on uh, DBT, dialectic behaviour therapy. And then there were some very novel approaches uh, using what you might call classical conditioning to try and reduce suicide attempts by uh, changing people's uh, valence, valence, really, towards um, suicidal thoughts or attempts. What kind of digital interventions were tested in the RCTs that you looked at in your meta-analysis? And for our more general audience, can you talk about the different kinds of therapies and the differences between the digital format of these therapies and the face-to-face format? It's quite tricky, really, isn't it? Because I think that face-to-face interventions do work um, very well. Um, for anxiety and depression interventions, you can get the same effect um, online uh, as face-to-face for anxiety interventions, particularly if you have at least some input from a, uh, a clinician. When it comes to suicide interventions, we're really not so sure whether digital are going to be as effective as face-to-face. Generally speaking, face-to-face interventions are effective, although there's a real um, need there to optimise them. And so what we found was that the um, suicide interventions were as effective as, as other um, face-to-face interventions. What difficulties did you find when you were assessing these studies and measuring the clinical efficacy of the digital intervention? You know, you, you say that you found that they were as effective. Were there any, any sort of methodological problems, any problems in the design of the studies that you found whilst you were doing your, your systematic review? Certainly. There were a number of um, 
scientific piece we found. First of all, there are very, very few studies, which just speaks to the fact that people don't uh, feel easy uh, evaluating the effects of digital therapy for suicide. Um, I think this is because suicide is regarded as a very difficult and intractable problem. And it's also very risky. I mean, you're sort of almost putting your your hand on your heart when it comes to that and saying, well, we're going to really try whether there's a difference between a digital therapy and uh, a non, uh, a placebo, if you like, or a tension placebo control condition. So it's quite a, a, a sort of, it does uh, raise problems uh, in terms of the experimenter's view anyway, whether this is something that you should be doing. I mean, the, the side of it is that most people don't get anything if they're not already in, in face-to-face therapy. So it seemed to us that it was better to actually try rather than not do it. And I guess the author's papers that we had had similar views that we really needed to look at what was possible and what could be done outside of a face-to-face situation. And in your study, you, you say digital interventions that directly target suicidality can and should be widely promoted through the internet and digital distribution platforms such as app stores as part of a suicide prevention effort. Although your studies found that overall effect size of these interventions is small, you sort of speculate that the population impact could be substantial. Can you expand on this? And would you say that your study is uh, some of the first robust evidence to support the use of these interventions for uh, suicide prevention? I think the, the results of the study are very promising. Uh, and I think that they're strong enough for us to say, well, it is safer to put out these interventions that people can try on their own than not do anything. Uh, I think, um, you know, one would always say that it's much better to have people in face-to-face Um, situations and online and I would agree the trouble is people who are at risk of suicide do not seek help there are many reasons for that there's barriers stigma there's lack of services so I think weighing it up I'm very strongly of the view that we should promote the use of interventions Um, we do need to do more around safety I think but overall the results of these uh, 14 studies truly do show that there is a positive effect. Again, the effect is not large, but if you compare that to face-to-face interventions, uh, it's roughly comparable. And you just mentioned safety. Can you expand on that a little? What do you mean? What can be done to improve safety of these interventions? Well, I think safety is obviously a really important thing. And we do know that digital uh, information can be quite harmful and can be associated with increased trends to suicide. So one has to always be very wary about safety. Certainly in the the studies that we saw and those that we have conducted ourselves, we've been aware of negative impacts on people. But I think it's something that one has to always consider. Uh, It's not a good idea to do harm. But overall, um, I think the the positives outweigh the negatives, especially as we don't know that there are negatives. 
And a particular limitation of digital interventions which you found was that the study reported low treatment adherence rates, so with nearly two-thirds of studies reporting that participants completed less than 50% of the treatment modules. Now, this seems like a big problem with digital interventions. Uh, what do you think can be done to address this, and do you think that this is something that can be overcome? The results of these studies show that there's effectiveness, even though adherence is low. Um, so it's really, um, you know, an issue, I think, that keeping people in on treatments, whether they're antidepressants or psychotherapy or online digital interventions, it's always a problem. But of course, digitally, you can, of course, just leave. You don't really have that feeling that you have to adhere because you're, you're meeting up with your therapist. Now, the ways that we overcome this, I mean, this uh, other people have different views about it, but some people say, well, maybe you don't need to have this level of adherence, really. Once a person gets it and they've taken away the learnings, why would you want them to necessarily keep on adhering? Um, but more than that, I think if we really want to do these things better, we have to have much better patient engagement. We have to have co-design. We have to be working with the people for whom these products are designed. So I think there's certainly a lot of for improvement in that area. And can you tell me what some of the gaps are in the literature that you came across um, during your study and some of the unanswered questions and priorities that you think should be set for future research? Some of the limitations of the study and where we need to look for future research include making sure these are applied in low and middle income countries because we had no studies really that reflected the experience we also need to be looking at non-cognitive behaviour therapy approaches. We had some very simple when the focus of the intervention was on improving insomnia and had good effects on suicide um, ideation. Uh, and I think uh, taking that sort of approach rather than the focus on others is really an exciting area. In addition, I think we need large implementation trials because essentially these trials have small numbers, generally speaking, and we really need to know at a population level if you do implement and promote these sorts of interventions whether you get a population level effect. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Helen, for joining us. It was great to get your insight into your study and your thoughts on the priorities for future digital health interventions in suicide prevention. Um, to our readers, please do read the paper by Professor Helen Christensen and colleagues on our website. The title is Suicide Prevention Using Self-Guided Digital Interventions, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Randomized Controlled Trials. And please also take a look at the link comment by Dr. Irini Kariotaki at Harvard Medical School, which takes a deeper look at the study and puts it into the wider context of other research in the field of mental health and digital interventions. We've discussed how digital health interventions can have a positive impact on reducing the risk of suicide, but so can other forms of support. If you or anyone you know is affected by the themes discussed in the podcast, please consider reaching out to the Samaritans. If you are based in the UK, the number is 116-123, or visit www.samaritans.org. For those outside the UK, Befrienders Worldwide would also provide support, and you can find them at www.befrienders.org.